This is the Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Welcome to a new episode of the Christian Circle Podcast. Today we're talking about the sixth commandment and we have a special guest. We have Mike Landry who's here and he's going to talk to us about this. So Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry first. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to join you for this conversation. So my name is Mike. I work full-time as a chaplain to 10 Catholic schools in Alberta, Canada. I work largely with junior high and senior high students. Uh, I've been working in youth ministry for 25 years now. Uh, I've worked in parishes, I've worked at camps, and, and in this particular position in schools. I'm married and a father of five kids, ranging in age from six years old to 15 years old. I'm a diehard hockey fan, uh, and I'm a bit of a nerd. So that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Okay, great. So you actually wrote, uh, you have your own website, and there you wrote a very long discussion about the Sixth Commandment. Now, what is the Sixth Commandment, and what are its two parts? But why is adultery expressly mentioned when we have another com- commandment coming up later? Okay, well, uh, a number of years ago, when I first started working for the schools, I had worked in parishes for 10 years, and I flipped over to the schools. I wanted to provide sort of resources and supports. When you work in 10 different schools, you don't get the chance to kind of be with them on a, on a regular day-to-day basis. And mm-hmm. and so this had been 2012-2013. I we we just been given the UCAT at World Youth Day in 2011 from Pope Benedict, so this book was only about a year and a half old. And so I made a decision to make part of my first year working in the schools to do a series going through the entire UCAT, the entire youth catechism, mm-hmm. taking all the major headings. So when we got to the commandments, I did essentially an, an article on every one of the Ten Commandments. So we got to the Sixth Commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And so my article, in a lot of ways, is a reflection on some of the major points that are made in the UCAT. So what what is the church trying to say to young people about adultery? And, and how are we trying to explain that particular part to them? Now, what's going to come later on when you get to, to the later commandments, we're going to talk about not coveting your neighbor's wife. So how lust and adultery are, are kind of these both these temptations that we deal with and, and have dealt with, not just in the 21st century, but going back thousands of years to pretty well from the beginning on. So after after the fall, of course. Okay. So they usually say that there are two parts to this commandment, right? Um, so what are these these two parts? And they always say that it's it's about not just yourself, but the other person as well. Um, the the the, the two parts about the commandment that's not something I, I'd say I'm totally familiar with, um, oh. per se. Um, but I'm if I'm, if I'm understanding what you're asking, it's the idea. It's not just you not do this, but it's also the idea of not using another person. Is yeah. that what you're getting at? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's the idea of not committing adultery. When I think about it in the context of the young people that I serve, they understand the fact that cheating is bad. Cheating in a relationship is bad. They, it's, it's. There, there's a lot of gray areas when you talk to young people about morality, but they frown a lot on cheating in any kind of a relationship. And so when they hear this commandment, it makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. What I think they struggle with is is exactly what we mean by this, because to them, it would be cheating on. Uh, cheating on a girlfriend or cheating on a spouse. Mm-hmm. And when the church looks at this, when the church looks at what Moses, what, what God gave to Moses in this commandment, or even what, what Jesus says when, when Jesus kind of levels this up, is adultery at, on, on its simplest level is not having sexual intercourse with anybody who's not your spouse. Mm-hmm. But Jesus levels this up and says, when you look at 
a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery with her. So it, it, the idea that we're being called to see to see our sexuality, to see the, the gift of self, to see the gift of love as a gift that we give to one another and that we use it in its proper context. That's the starting point that you look at this commandment. And, it, and if you look to what St. John Paul II did with the theology of the body, in a lot of ways, this is what, what he's getting at. Yeah. Because for a lot of people, they'll hear this and it's the church saying, don't do this. Mm. And what John Paul II, I think, did in a lot of ways was he tried to turn it upside down and said, it's not just about what we don't do, it's about what we're called to do. Mm. And that anything that falls short of that somehow misses out. And so the the act of having uh, of having sex with somebody you're not married to that's problematic. But it's not just that because all of these things somehow fall short of the target of what what the gift of ourselves, what the gift of our sexuality is meant to be. So what are the other sins against chastity? Because when we uh, when we are preparing for a confession or when we are making our examination at the end of the day and the night, um, what else do we add uh, that are sins against chastity and they are forbidden? Well, I mean, obviously, the line the line my students will often ask, or the, when you're when you have a youth group who who maybe are a little bit more dedicated to trying to live out the commands or trying to live out the the call to faith, the question that often gets asked is, you know, how far is too far? And we obviously talk about kind of what's what's the black and white line. Well, you know, it, sexual intercourse, boom, that's that's committing adultery. But when you start looking into the different things that that fit under that category, you start talking about uh, the custody of the eyes. You know, somebody, somebody beautiful walks by you and you take that lingering glance. Uh, what happens in your imagination when this kind of starts to become lust? Again, what Jesus talks about literally when you look at a woman with lust in your, in your heart. Um, and it's not the fact that you, you see a beautiful or, or, or an attractive person. It's the, the, what we would say would be consenting to that thought or hanging on to that thought. Because the fact is somebody's going to walk by you in, in, in our culture. I mean, it's, it's July as we're recording this. It's hot days. Yeah. It's one of the hottest days of the summer up here in Alberta right now. People are walking by you all the time, dressed in all sorts of ways. Yeah. And it's what you do next with that that becomes that that sin of lust. The, the look, the glance, the, the dwelling on the thought, the, the following them past you with your eyes. This is one of the things I often consider a lot when I when I go out to, to dinner with my kids. Mm -hmm. uh, is the, the, the server at a restaurant isn't necessarily dressed modestly, depending on where you happen to be. Um, and what, mo what example do they see when when people kind of take that you know they follow the servers they walk away mm -hmm. so that would be one we would talk about things like pornography mm -hmm. uh, and prostitution as sins against chastity because you're you're commercializing this this whole sense of the gift of self and turning it into into a product to use there's a lot of other things i i love i think it's jason everett who mm -hmm. talks about the fact that it's not a question of black and white you know here's all the things you can do if you're in a relationship with somebody and and, and then here's all the things that you can't do because when you talk about when you talk about what what sins come up against chastity, it's not just the actions you do; it's also what's in your heart. And so you'll you'll read sometimes where we'll talk about the fact that in some cases, if you're not in a place, you know, if you're not you're not in that that covenanted married relationship, there are days where kissing is okay, and there may be days where you need to take a break because it's it's arousing something in you. It's it's turning affection into passion which can lead us you know again down maybe not necessarily all the way to, to to ending up in bed with somebody but to crossing that line into something else and so all of these things the issue with them is not that they're bad and i think that's one of the fundamental things again that john paul ii talks about is that it's not that we want people to think that the body is bad or that the church thinks that the body or sex or or intimacy is bad but in fact it's the opposite that there, there's, there's something that is so tremendously good that you want to use it in its proper area in its proper sphere in its proper place you know we we have you know I, I have i have one suit i work in youth ministry so i own one suit that comes out for graduations and weddings and funerals and i wouldn't put that on to go and mow my lawn or to, to, to <laughs> my car because it's something that i recognize 
uh, has has a has a greater value or has a greater place than something else. And maybe that's you know too too basic of an image, but it's it's the same sort of thing. You know, I I have certain things that I that are with me all the time. I have I have my watch. I have you know a cross that I wear around my neck. I have my wedding ring. Well, my wedding ring is something that is sacred. It, it doesn't come off, and if it does. It's in a very, very safe place. When I used to play hockey, uh, one of my friend's wives would come to, to watch all of the games. And so because you weren't allowed to wear, like it, playing hockey with a wedding ring on, I didn't want to leave it in the dressing room where it could go missing. Mm-hmm. So she generally hung on to it for me. I'd give it to her as I went onto the ice. When I came back off the ice, she'd give it right back to me because mm-hmm. it's something that's precious. You don't just leave it lying around. You don't treat it flippantly. Mm-hmm. And what what's happened in our culture is... And it's nothing, again, it's nothing new. It's not, you know, to the 21st century. This is something you saw in, in, in the 20th century, something you've saw, you've seen all throughout history, mm-hmm. is that we've we've essentially almost enthroned erotic love as, as the be-all and end-all, as the, the mm-hmm. end goal of life. Mm-hmm. And so what it sounds like is, is you have this church that is this, this great killjoy or this God who is this cosmic killjoy saying, hey, I, I made you this great thing, but, but don't touch it. Mm-hmm. It's like putting a plate of cookies in front of my six-year-old daughter and saying, you know, just sit there for a little bit. Don't eat any of them. And, and that's what it seems like to a lot of people. But what, what's really going on here is that the church is calling us to to a deeper love, to a truer love, to a more beautiful love. And, and what often happens is our culture has essentially been seduced by by something that's that's second rate. And, and, and it it's something that's that's good. That's why we want to do it. But when we do it in the context of God's plan for our sexuality, it's even better. So how does someone actually obey the sixth commandment? You know, what are some ways that or some means of practicing purity? Well, I think, I think first and foremost, I I think you want to try and get a sense of the mind of the church. What is the mind of the church for our bodies, for our sexuality? What is, what is God's plan for marriage? Mm -hmm. And, and I think you can look to things like the theology of the body. And if, if the writings of John Paul II are too dense, there are a lot of summaries of this. Uh, Jason Everett has one, uh, Leah Perot uh, has one called the theology of the body for everybody. But when you take on those ones that kind of explain it, they paint this picture of what is our sexuality for. Mm-hmm. When when you dive into the catechism of the UCAT, they talk about the unitive and the procreative aspects of it, and that we're not supposed to to get rid of either one of those things. That our sexuality is designed to unite us to another person, but to do so in a way that is permanent. And the the science that goes along with it, with the the hormones that are released when when we're intimate with somebody, you know, kind of backs that vision up. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you spend some time studying that because that's part of how in your own mind and in your own heart you start to turn the the what the the perceived no from the church into no no we're trying to get you to say yes to something even greater so i think that's the first thing you want to get a sense of what 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 is the vision what is the purpose of our marriage and our sexuality because if you know that there's something that that that's that good to aim for you're less likely to settle for something secondary. I think the second thing is when you're in a relationship, I think it's it's very important to have very clear and open communication and very clear and open boundaries with one another about what your own experiences have been, about what some of your temptations have been. And obviously you don't like go out on the first date and you know and unload, but as as you get closer to one another to be able to share, you know what, I've really struggled with, you know, with this, you know, I, I went too far with a past relationship or I have an issue with pornography or, you know, whatever it might be. And and to be willing to be that open and that honest, and then to set boundaries accordingly. When when I was engaged to my wife, we maintained boundaries. We had a curfew. You know, we we're twenty four and twenty five years old, and you know, on on a work night, I went home at ten o'clock. Because what 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 is so clear, and and, and I see this in a lot of my young people, is that the later it gets, 
the less clear your mind is, the more tired you are and, and the more willing you will be to compromise certain things that you consider to be important. Mm -hmm. So having, having things like that, we had, a, we had a rule about if we were at either person's house, uh, we, we both had roommates. Mm -hmm. We were never in a bedroom with a closed door. And, and in fact, we tried to stay in, in more in the, in, the, in the living rooms. If we need to have some time and there are other people around, we might go and sit in there. But to be, to be very clear and very conscious about that. Mm. Um, I think being, I have friends who, based on their own particular pasts, one of their boundaries was they didn't kiss at all while they were dating or, or while they were engaged. Their very, their very first kiss was on their wedding day. That's mm. not for everybody, but that was, a, that was a, a very deliberate decision to try and make sure that they would maintain that, that level of purity. Uh, if you're married... Uh, to try and live up to, or to try and, and obey this commandment. Well, we often read stories about Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, yeah. who had a, a deliberate a rule for himself, and it was, I believe, it was a rule for anybody who traveled in his in his entourage that they would never be alone with somebody of the opposite gender yeah. who wasn't their spouse. So, you know, he wouldn't go for a meal with a woman by himself. He wouldn't, uh, he, he wouldn't put himself in a position where not only would he be tempted, but also pe people would, be, would perceive that he was doing something untoward. Mm -hmm. and, and so if you're married, I mean, maybe, maybe that's not possible. But where, where things tend to go wrong, people don't end up, if, if you have a, a value where you want to live to this commandment, where you want to, as a young person, save sex for marriage, or you as a married person want to stay faithful to your spouse, it's not one decision that leads you to adultery, usually leads you to premarital sex. It's mm -hmm. a series of small compromises that get you down that road. Mm -hmm. You have a fight with your spouse and there's a, a coworker who is, is compassionate towards you and you start sharing a little bit of something that maybe doesn't belong there. Mm -hmm. when, when I look at, at my inner circle of friends, the people that I share the closest with, they, they are, they are my, my best friends. They are, they're, they're men in my life who mm -hmm. I share some of these things. With. And, you know, if I was to take on, you know, particularly if I'm struggling in, in some area in my own marriage, I was to take on a, a woman that I work with and start sharing all of those things. Well, what's happening now is I'm building an emotional intimacy with her. Mm -hmm. And that can, that can lead, you know, either to, to a, an, an emotional affair or can lead to a, a full out affair if you're not aware of yourself. And I think mm -hmm. what comes with that is being honest with yourself when you realize that's what you're doing or you start to flirt with somebody else mm -hmm. as a married person. You're starting to, again, to open a door to something that, that is, is rightly belongs, it belongs to my wife. You know, she, she has the rights not, I promise to give her all of myself. Mm -hmm. I think when you become aware that you're you're having romantic or lustful thoughts about somebody else, to, to, to call them and, and to recognize them for what there is. And I think the great gift when you start looking at all of these things, it can sound very frustrating to somebody who might be struggling with this. This is why the sacrament of reconciliation is such a great gift to us in the church. Mm -hmm. Because it, it we, we have the opportunity to go to dump these things off, to start over again, and to start over again with the gift of God's sacramental grace to do what he's called us to do, to be what he's called us to be. All of these things uh, that you suggested, all these means actually require deliberate effort, right? It, it's not something that just happens overnight. Um, and, and we are constantly bombarded. You, you turn on the TV, there's stuff. You turn on the radio, you hear stuff. The songs we listen to have stuff. Um, you go out walking into the mall and stuff. So what should we avoid? You know, How can we make these deliberate efforts to avoid, if possible, uh, some of these things? Well, I, I think, like with anything, the first thing starts with a decision. Mm -hmm. I want to live a pure life. I want to live, I, I want to, I want to live to be God's vision for purity for my own life. And then you start examining the things that you're doing through that lens. Uh, it, it's no different than if you, a few years ago, I decided I was going to train for a triathlon. I'm, I'm, you know, I was, I was getting to my late thirties and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to run a triathlon and by no means am I an elite athlete, but it meant that, all right, if I'm going to train for this triathlon, 
I need to get up a little bit earlier and run and bike and swim on a regular basis. So I need to clear some time in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And if I want to be in the best shape possible, there are certain things I need to not bring into my body because if I'm constantly just buying Slurpees and eating McDonald's, <laughs> well, you know, I may, I may be able to complete the triathlon, but I'm not going to do it the best that I can. And I think it's a similar thing here. So you make the decision to say, all right, I want to try and live up to this. I want to try and follow God's purpose for this because it really is something beautiful and something wonderful when you see it lived out. And I think most of us can think of a set of grandparents or, or some older couple in our lives who've been married for 40 or 50 years who lived out this vision for, for, for marriage, who lived out this vision for, for romantic love. All right. So what, what counters that? Well, in our relationships with others, we can do that. If there's certain music, as you start paying attention to the lyrics that you're like, wow, that doesn't match it. Well, you know, maybe those need to come off the playlist. Mm -hmm. If if you're in a movie where a really uh, a really sensual love scene comes on, well, if you're watching it on, on Netflix, or you're watching it on, you know, watching a, a movie somewhere, skip the scene, look away. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's great advice. I believe it's from the book of Sirach that says, if you see a beautiful woman, you know, look the other way. <laughs> Um, if, if it's going to lead you into sin, I mean, obviously the, the greatest level of purity is to see the beauty of the person and to always see the wholeness of the person, but we're living on the other side of the fall and we're not perfected yet. And so there may come a moment where we do need to look away. I tell young men all the time, you know, one of the best things that you can do is build a habit of always looking the girls in your lives, always looking them in the eyes. And then it, I mean, yes, it would be great if everybody dressed modestly, but, but that's not the reality of our culture. So, you know, make that point of looking a woman in the eyes all the time. Make make those conscious decisions. And if there's something in your life, when when you're counseling someone about how to overcome an addiction to pornography, you delete the stuff off your computer. When you're counseling somebody who's got an addiction to alcohol, you have them get rid of the stuff that's in their house. So if there are things in your life that you can weed right out of it, get rid of those first and foremost. Uh, when you're in a situation where there's something that you can't avoid, well, make a conscious choice to look in certain other places and pray. Yeah. I, I think that's one of those things. Pray Hail Marys. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a nice, simple prayer. Or simply pray the name of Jesus. Because the moment you bring Jesus or Mary into the conversation, well, I think for most of us, it's kind of a sobering moment where you're like, wait a second. <laughs> you, you, it's the, the old line, you can't pray and sin, you'll give up one or the other. So if mm -hmm. you start praying, it's going to lead you away from, from the sin. Mm -hmm. If you start praying and, and decide you want to stay in the sin, well, you're, you're going to choose to reject the prayer. But I think that that can be an extremely helpful thing when you get into those moments. And having, having a confessor, again, having a confessor in your life where you share these things and you share these struggles, Often they'll advise you because they'll they'll start to see the pattern, particularly if you go to the same priest over and over for confession, they'll start to see the pattern and they may give you some good solid advice on what's best for you specifically as well. That's that's very good advice, I think. And, uh, you know, uh, they can act as your spiritual director as well. right? Yeah, I also I also always tell young people, don't charge your phone in your bedroom. OK, why? Because that well, because it becomes a great source of temptation mm -hmm. uh, when yeah. you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and you're not really thinking clearly and you're feeling a little bit lonely. Again, it can draw you back to some of these other things or you start mm -hmm. watching shows all and, and when you're overtired, again, your your degree of self-control to resist temptations, whether it's to lust after somebody in, in pornography or whether it's to not have the self-control in your romantic relationship, whatever it might be, all of your, your willpower goes down the more tired that you are. Mm -hmm. How many of my students come to school on a day-to-day -day basis with their phone batteries at 10% because they've been on them all night? Mm -hmm. And it, it just it it takes down your takes down your guard. So you've given very specific advice for married people. Um, do you have any specific advice for widows and singles? We'll, we'll we'll start with singles. I think if you want to live uh, a particular life again, if you want to live this virtue of of purity of chastity, because that's I mean we say you shall not commit adultery, but ultimately it's this idea of we're all called to chastity. Single, married, uh, widows, young people, old people, men, women, we're all called to to live this virtue of chastity. If you're going to call 
to live this virtue of chastity. I think that where you go looking for a relationship can can matter mm-hmm. because it. I think it becomes a very great challenge if you start getting into relationships with people who who don't share that virtue. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that that you know we can only marry people who are exactly the same place in faith as we are. I mean, that that's not necessarily realistic. But if you're going out trying to find a significant other at a bar on a Friday night, you're going to find somebody who is interested in you, um, but may not be interested in the entirety of who you are. Mm-hmm. So where are you looking for these things? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that having healthy friendships uh, with all sorts of different people is tremendously important. Mm-hmm. I think that having people around you whom you trust implicitly to call you out on certain things, I think that is tremendously important. I think being aware that as you as you get emotionally closer to somebody, you're going to feel drawn to become physically closer to them as well. Being aware of that. I, I actually think that the people who most need boundaries in relationships can be engaged couples in the months leading up to their marriage mm-hmm. because you're on your way to becoming one. You're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. And and so having people to call you out, having people to check in on you can be can be hugely important. We talk a lot uh, about accountability partners in lots of different areas of our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, having an accountability couple or having a sponsor couple as you go through a marriage preparation course, that can that can make a difference. But even as you're dating, if you're in a serious relationship, mm-hmm. I, I think the other piece of advice I'd give to, to young to people who are single or people who are in relationships that are not married at this point is when you realize you're with somebody that you you don't think you can marry end the relationship because all that you're doing is you drag on a relationship that you know is a for lack of a better term a dead end relationship that you see that this relationship has no possibility of becoming a marriage is you're basically putting yourself in a position of temptation because you're basically there to kind of satiate some sort of emotional need because now it's no longer about i could give myself to this person for the rest of my life it's well i just don't want to be alone and if you're working from if that's the the foundation point of your relationship well as the time drags on where are you going to go what's going to happen what are you going to do and and again that's where having people around you who can see who you are see where you're going see what's going on why that's so important mary beth bonacci was a big chastity speaker in the 1990s and she used to always talk every time she'd walk into high school she'd say dating is for dumping she said the point of dating is to be with somebody and if you realize that they're not a compatible partner for your life end it. Mm-hmm. Just end it. Just walk, you know, walk away from it. Not because they're a bad person, not because they've hurt you, but because you realize this is, this is the point. This is why you're doing this. You're looking for that partner mm-hmm. and looking for that partner that you can give yourself to. I mean, when you go into that, that, that point of sexuality from the, from the mind of the church, you're saying with your bodies, what you say in your wedding vows, I take you to be my wife, my husband. I promise to be true to you in good times and bad and in sickness and health. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. And if you, if you realize that that's not somebody you could say those words to consciously, you don't want to say that with your body either. So being willing to, to, to make a hard decision to end a relationship, because this is clear, this is not where you're supposed to go. I think that that's good. And, and, and the advice I would give to anybody, young, old, single, married, widows, pray because ultimately our primary intimacy is supposed to come from God. And if we go looking for a romantic relationship to fill that God-shaped hole in us, we are always going to be disappointed. And, and I think that that's, that's, I think very much the, the sister, the, the symptom or the reality in our culture is people are looking for a spouse to fulfill their every need mm-hmm. and, and they're never going to yeah. no human person ever will. And, and there's the, the story Jesus tells of the seven brothers who marry the same woman and they all die, and then who's, whose bride is she going to be in heaven? And he's like, no, nobody's. Part of what Jesus is getting at is the fact that we will be closer to God than we would even be to a spouse in this world. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking for that intimacy in a spouse, the intimacy that's supposed to come from God, I am more capable of loving my wife if I am working on becoming a saint. If I'm working on becoming the saint that God has called me to be, I am more capable of loving my wife and my kids properly because my relationship is founded in that place. My wife is capable of the same. If her if her relationship with God is founded in that place 
And I think this is where you get into like Archbishop Fulton Sheen talking about it takes three to get married. God needs to have pride of place in our lives. And then if you're sitting there and and you're somebody who is single and don't want to be single, whether you're a young person who's single or whether your spouse has died and you're a widower or a widower, you can can lament that with God. Mm -hmm. But know that God is not holding out on you because God will give you the grace. God will give you himself and there's there's nothing more we can want or or, or receive in this life than him and and god has already given himself it's 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 we who need to you know pursue him right because he's always there he's always available Um, absolutely and and so my last question is what does someone do i know you mentioned reconciliation which is great um so if someone has fallen short of this commandment what do they do well i i I can't overstate the importance of confession yeah. uh, and the gift of confession. I think that most of us, most of us feel the most shame about sexual sins. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when you start going into some of the different writings of the saints, lust is not the deadliest sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's the one we get the most embarrassed about. And I think that's part of the, the, the I guess the temptation we face from, from, from the enemy is that we make that such a big deal. We focus so much on that. We don't deal with pride and envy yeah. and anger and, and, and the other things. Uh, not that we should, you know, only work on those and forget about lust, but it's not only that. And the reality is anytime we go to confession, every person who goes to confession, if you're sitting in confession lineup, I, I can almost guarantee you that that every sin you're going to commit, some, or every sin you're going to confess, somebody else in that lineup is confessing the same sins. Mm-hmm. I have a number of friends who become ordained priests. I, I have a, a priest friend who's, you know, celebrated 50 years of a priest. I got a priest friend who's only been a couple of years a priest. And, and what they all tell me is that they stop hearing new sins after about a year of, of being a priest. <laughs> We're not creative with our sins. I think we all sort of think, well, it's, it's just me. I'm the only one who has this, <laughs> yeah. who has this particular sin. Uh, and so we, we sort of sit there and we hang on to this thing. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're a young person who, you know, goes to the youth group or you're, you're a young person who has this, this particular thing, you know, you, you figure that every, you know, the priest looks at you and, you know, assumes that you're just this, this perfect angel, you know, and then you, you don't want to confess that sin to him. Mm-hmm. Again, that's not God. That's not God. They want, priests want to help us get rid of this stuff. I, I love Father Mike Schmitz's image of priesthood. He talks about being God's garbage man. <laughs> You know, the first time you knock over, you know, if you're driving a garbage truck, the first time you knock over a bin or have to go out and shovel up all the stuff, you know, maybe that time, you you, you know, it's, it's hard. He said, but at a certain point, it's just all garbage. It doesn't matter what you're getting rid of. It's just all garbage. You just want to get it gone. And I think that's very much their perspective when we come to them. So be mindful, run to confession. Don't be scared. Mm-hmm. Priest isn't going to yell at you. You haven't come up with some new sin that's going to shock him mm-hmm. um, and, and receive that forgiveness. I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is look for the practical resources that are out there to help us. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you struggle with pornography, I think you've interviewed Dr. Peter Kleponis. I thought I saw him on one of your previous podcasts. Yeah. Um, but Peter Kleponis and his Integrity Restored process is, is a fantastic tool for people who are dealing with that. If you're somebody who has had an affair or somebody who has had premarital sex, be aware of that. Um, there, there's a lot of healing to be done. And, and, and I mean, God is the divine physician. God is the healer who wants to heal us from these things, who wants to make us whole again, who has given all of himself to us for that 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 process. If you're in a married relationship and you've had an affair and you've, you've committed adultery uh, in that way, well, you need to journey with your spouse and, and you need to probably get some counseling help because now there's been trust that's been broken. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that your marriage is now shot forever, but it's you're going to have to rebuild trust and there's going to be some work to be. If it's premarital sex, I, I think there's still healing to be done because you give a part of yourself to every person that you're intimate with. And so, it, it, you know, it can be a question of some some prayer ministry or, or some, some counseling, but continue bringing that back to God and allowing 
God to heal that. Just because you've had an affair, just because you have had premarital sex doesn't mean that now you're doomed to a miserable life or a, or a terrible marriage or to be single for the rest of your life. God, if you look at the, the genealogy and the family tree of Jesus, <laughs> it's not these are all the best and the brightest yes. and the most morally upright. <laughs> Um, but quite often it's people that, that God has healed from all sorts of circumstances, mm-hmm. with the exception, obviously, of Mary. Uh, but but there's a lot of people who had a lot of scripts. You think of King David and his great failure with Bathsheba. And yet that's part of Bathsheba is Solomon's mother in the end. God works incredible things, but we need to be willing to, to bring ourselves to him. I mean, that's the difference between King David and King Saul. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that objectively, David's sin was greater than Saul's. And David... David was was lazy. David was lustful. David committed adultery. David committed murder to try and cover it up. What did Saul do? Well, he led worship that the, the prop was supposed to do. Objectively, the sin seems much greater in David's case. Mm-hmm. But the difference was David was willing to go back yeah. and start over again. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between St. Peter and Judith? Mm-hmm. Peter was willing to go back. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to be those people who go back, who receive God's healing, who receives God's forgiveness, and who start over every day. And, and God is so good with his forgiveness. God is so good with his His mercy for us because God doesn't see us just as we are. He sees what we could be. He loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. So this was great, actually. This is great advice, Mike. And, and I'm glad that you wrote the entire post and you had a chance to talk to us about this in great detail. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for talking. And where can people find you online and uh, where can they reach out to you? Uh, my, my website is mikeisthird.com. That's all spelled out in, in letters, mikeisthird.com. I'm not writing as much anymore because where my students have gone, uh, it's a lot more video now. So during the school year, I post video every week rather than writing so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also write a little bit for the Archdiocese of Edmonton. Uh, for their weekly newsletter, The the Window. And I am an occasional author over at allprodad.com. So lots of places to find me. But it was very, thank you, Pam, for so much for having me on here. It's a pleasure to be a part of, of this conversation. <music>